Jacob Balbrock, Tommy Castor. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 12.40 KFH. Welcome in, everybody. Sports Daily on a Wednesday. A jam-packed show, as always, in the fall, and we're excited to bring it to you here on KFH, the number one sports station in Wichita. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor, Jad Chambers producing for us. Excited to be here. A lot to get to. Talk a little baseball today as we get a home run chase, which is Probably the best thing as far as entertainment value Major League Baseball provides. Occasionally, we'll get into that. Big night last night for Aaron Judge. The Wichita wind surge. Game one winners at home doing their part to make sure they can get at least another game at Riverfront Stadium. But they got to take care of business on the road. 17-1 to winners last night. Great offense, great pitching. And they got the momentum headed into Tulsa where they just need to take one of two to advance. We'll... Bring in Brian Hargrove, who's organizing that NHL game at Interest Bank Arena this weekend. Get some details from him on that. See if there's tickets available. Some last-minute things. That's coming up in the second hour. Coming up in this hour, the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will join us. It's our off week for Wichita State Athletic Director Kevin Saul. We're going to see if he'll chat with us. There's some upgrades going on at Cessna Stadium that we want to talk about. We'll do it next week if we can't get him today, but we have sent that message out. Uh, we'll see if we can get that as well this hour. We've got Amazon trying to get into college football, Tommy. Lots to get through. Happy hump day. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to be that busy of a day about 30 minutes ago. And then we started talking about all the things going on. I'm like, man, we've got a lot to get to today. It, it is. It piled up here. And you're not kidding. We were just texting. We're like, oh, yeah, you know what? We're actually open in the second hour for the first time in a while. And that evaporated quickly. Uh, so let's start with baseball. The win surge I mentioned, big winners last night, 17 to 1. That is how you explode out of the gates in the postseason, Tommy. Uh, good for them, and, and hopefully we'll get to see them again. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, you know, this has been a team that it seems like all season long has had a pretty explosive offense. Like, it's not uncommon for them to put up a lot of home runs and, and get a lot of runs across the board. But in a playoff game, you know, kind of a pressure-packed home crowd game one, uh, you know, we, we know what they did last year in the playoffs, and I'm sure that, you know, that, that entire squad wanted to have a little bit of a, a better showing in, in the first round of the playoffs this year. Uh, they sure had that 17 to one. That's pretty impressive. It's going to it's not going to be that easy uh, for the next game. And and if it goes to a game three on the road in Tulsa. Uh, but I love this this burgeoning rivalry that's beginning between the wind surge and the drillers. And um, it's a lot of fun to watch and pretty happy for the wind surge to get that game one victory. Yeah, it's you know, they didn't the playoffs were a tough time for them last year. They get another shot. So they go to Tulsa on Thursday. They got to win one of the next two. And then they'll move on to the championship series. So that's what's on the on the plate for the wind surge. We'll check in on them a little later in the week. Uh, Major League Baseball. You know, we haven't talked a lot about Major League Baseball, Tommy, since you've been here. Outside of you know the perils of the Kansas City Royals, but you know one of the things that we love to see in baseball is a home run chase, and you know that got fouled up quite a bit. Um, 
by the steroid era. So, you know, you look at this and and take the records with a grain of salt, right? Bonds is 73, Maguire's 70, Sosa 66. Uh, Maguire, Sosa each had 60-plus a couple of times. But those all have a cloud hanging over them. So Babe Ruth had 60. Roger Maris had 61. Now Aaron Judge has 60. Uh, he's he, With two more home runs, will break the American League record. And for a lot of people, Tommy, with two more home runs, he'll break the real home run record, uh, as so many of these numbers were surrounded by the steroid saga. Where do you land on this in the history books? As Aaron Judge has 15 games left, um, I think he'll get to 62 at least. Where do you sit with this? Because I, you know, I I I find myself in a weird space with steroids. I think it saved the game at the time. I think baseball absolutely knew what was going on. Um, I I don't know what to do with the players or the records that are in there. But I I do think that if Judge gets to 62, he has a legitimate case to be the the real home run champion in baseball. I really, really struggle with this. And I have, you know, for the last couple of months, and, and I think you and I, I don't know if we share a brain on this, but you and I are about the same age. And so we were teenagers in the, the you know, those the, the formidable years when it was the home run chase with McGuire and Sosa and then Bonds in 2001. And, you know, I'm a baseball guy. I followed it big time when I was a kid into my teenage years and then beyond. And what's difficult for me is I understand that those records are tainted. I understand that, you know, since that time, so much has come out about the steroid era and, you know, what happened with those home run chases in 98 and then 2001. But it's not like I can just erase those memories from my brain, right? It's not like I, this is not eternal right. sunshine of the spotless mind. I can't, I can't just forget about that. I can't forget about, you know, being 12, 13 years old and on my VCR, recording Cardinals and Cubs games, you know, as Maguire and Sosa are going back and forth and, you know, seeing who's going to break that record. I can't, I cannot just erase from my mind when Roger Maris's family was, I believe it was a home game at Bush stadium and Mark McGuire, you know, hits the, the 62nd home run over the left field wall. It was an opposite field home run that, you know, really barely got out of the ballpark, but that was the one that I believe broke the record or at least tied the record. Like I can't forget about those things in my mind. So I have a really hard time with, with this pursuit because yeah, it's being done the right way. Aaron judge is a special kind of player, a special talent. And yeah, he probably does have a, a rightful claim to holding a record, but me personally, I just can't forget about, even though steroids were a part of it, I just can't forget about what happened, you know, 20 years ago and just pretend it never existed. No, I don't want to forget that it happened either. And I think probably um, my thought is that both things can exist, right? It's like the Hall of Fame for me. I, I can't ignore these players, Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds have cases that they're the best hitters, hitter and pitcher of all time, Right. It's hard for me to keep those guys out of baseball's history museum. I think you're just you just have to keep it relevant and honest what surrounded those players as you tell the story of baseball. Because I agree, and you and I are in this generation, and, and so many baseball fans are, to ignore them is to erase our baseball history, mm -hmm. right? Like that that was 
I don't know that outside of, you know, following individual things with the Texas Rangers, who are my favorite team in sports, I'm not sure that there's any baseball memory that sticks out to me more than the home run chase between McGuire and Sosa. You were coming out of the strike. I mean, it saved baseball. It did. And I knew whenever that was happening, I don't remember what grade I was in, eighth grade or a freshman in high school or something, but... I knew at that time those guys were juicing. They looked like the pro wrestlers I watched. Sure. Like, I knew exactly what was going on. And so did everybody in Major League Baseball. And at the time, nobody cared, right? Like, it was like, okay, well, that's just part of it. So, was it wrong? Uh, Yeah, I think so, because it was against the rules. But everybody knew it was happening. Everybody did. The writers who didn't write about it. Baseball who didn't punish it. Like, everybody knew what was happening, but it was magic. And so... I'm with you. I don't want to erase that, but at the same time, I don't want to erase what's happening now, which is a more legitimate stake. So I do think both things can exist. Let's say Judge gets to 62, which would put him ahead of Maris, right, but behind Sosa McGuire Bonds. If that happens, I think you can simply say Aaron Judge had the most home runs in baseball history outside of the steroid era, whatever you define the steroid era as. The numbers ahead of him, whatever that number ends up being, because he's not going to get to 73, whatever that number ends up being, these players played in an era where illegal substances were widely used. And what? And I don't even remember who's been you know proven, convicted, admitted to what. But you can put all that in there. And then you have two things, right? You have Barry Bonds' 73, which came with an asterisk. And you have Aaron Judge's 60-whatever, if he gets to 62, that then becomes a different benchmark. Because to me right now, Roger Maris' 61 does feel different than Barry Bonds' 73. And, and I think that's important, and I do think those two things can coexist. Yeah, one thing that, uh, that Aaron Judge does have claim to without any kind of clarifier, without any kind of asterisk or, you know, explainer is if he can break Roger Maris's record, then he will with even despite the steroid era, he'll own the American league record for home runs of all time. I mean, cause you think about it, McGuire, Sosa bonds all in the national league. Uh, and I know that that's not, you want to be the all time across the entire league home run leader. Like that's, you know, it's that, or, you know, really the American league's not as important as that. Right. But at least he would be able to lay a legitimate claim to that and not have to worry about clarifying with the steroid era, without the steroid era, but going back to what you had mentioned about, you know, being a, being a kid and erasing those memories and and that sort of thing. Like for me, I've got three formidable, uh, events that happened in those years that stand out to me in baseball. And, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I wasn't as huge of a football fan. Like I I am now, um, that kind of started in high school and beyond. But when I was like middle school, it was my favorite teams, the Atlanta Braves. It was the Braves winning the 95 world series. It was Cal Ripken jr. Breaking the, uh, the, the Ironman record. And then it was the home run chase in 98 with McGuire and Sosa. Like those were things that my friends and I were talking about you know, in between classes at our lockers. Like that was the important thing. You know, we were playing little league baseball and we were, you know, we were doing the, the bash brothers, you know, like McGuire did, you know, when somebody would hit a home run, like those were things that were really important to us. And so for people that are in this generation, yeah, Aaron judge, like I said before, is a special talent. I want to see him 
hit as many home runs as possible without the cloud of steroids hanging over him. But I, I do agree with you. Like, I think that you, I think that we can have a, a special place for him without erasing everything that happened 20, 25 years ago. And it's not even as much about erasing as it's just being fair to it, right? Like yeah. erasing it, well, I don't know. Maybe there are people that want to erase it. I, but th- again, you and I, it, that's not fair, right? That's not fair to us who that's a part of our baseball history. But that doesn't mean you ignore it, which is what happened at the time. You just acknowledge it. You just make it crystal clear what it was. And people, you know, I, I do also think that some people think that it will get, if if you, if you let's say you let these records stand and just exist and, uh, you put these guys in the Hall of Fame, and, and and I think there's a large portion of people who say, well, we'll forget that they cheated. Man, I was nowhere near watching the Black Sox or Pete Rose, and I'm very aware that those are cheaters. Well, Pete Rose not necessarily right. a cheater, but but those things happened, right? Those clouds exist. That won't happen like because people will always talk about it. It's not going to get erased into history. There will never be a time where Barry Bonds' 73 doesn't have that asterisk. There just won't be. Just like we all—you you and I—my grandpa didn't watch. I don't know if he if he was watching the Black Sox, right? Like, that that's a long time ago. But we know what it was. We know what Pete Rose was. That was my dad's generation, right? But we know what it was. And so you, you don't have to overthink it, right? Just let it be. Make sure that there's clarity on what exists around it. And, and it helps us enjoy what Judge is doing more, too, by the way, because we need to be fair to this generation of baseball sure. fan. And, and that is important for people to know. Yes, son or daughter, what you're watching is historic. 73, a guy cheated, we, we're, we think. Again, I don't, remember, I don't even remember if Bonds admitted it. But a guy cheated to get to 73 – Right. So that's there. There's another one that we watch that's 61 home runs. That's what Judge is chasing. So he can say he's the real home run champion, too. So we're watching history. I mean, I think that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And it lets us enjoy the moment of what Judge is doing right now, which is making history with home runs, which is baseball's best export. Right. And it's been fun to watch. You know, it's been fun to watch how he's able to do this. And the fact that not only and I think this this gets forgotten a little bit, you know, as he's chasing this home run record is it's not only the home run chase, it's the triple crown trade chase. You know, he's hitting for average. He's driving in runs. He's doing all of those things. And, you know, I I remember back in the day, you know, you would have these massive home run hitters. Like I think of Sammy Sosa didn't always particularly hit for average. Barry Bonds, when he chased after that 73, I'd have to go back and look, but I don't think he was hitting 300 when he hit 73 home runs. He might have been, uh, oh, but I, yeah, he, he he was he had the absurd on base. Yeah, he was. That's right. I'll, but I'll look but it there up. were but he, he was a great hitter overall. But there were some of the you know the the in that steroid era, the big time home run hitters weren't constantly hitting for average. You know, they were hitting for home runs or they were walking and that sort of thing. Aaron Judge is, is hitting for average, and you know that's that's great to see that you've got such a complete player. And I think what is 
what's really intriguing to me is to see how this is going to play out after the season. Don't forget, the Yankees offered Judge an extension before the season even started that would have locked him into New York you know, through his age 37 season, and he rejected that extension. Now his market value is so much higher. Is he going to hit free agency? Will the Yankees be able to sign him to what he wants? Will he go somewhere else? If so, where will he go? So I think that as this whole chase has gone on, both the home run and the triple crown chase, the question remains, which uniform is Judge going to be wearing next year? And that that really intrigues me. Uh, yeah, I think he'll be. Uh, I think he'll end up a Yankee. I don't think they'll let him go now. Just by the way, just as a, at a quick look at this, we're talking about Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds was in a new. It, it, he was in a different stratosphere. That year, he hit three twenty eight. You know what his on base percentage was? It had to be like in the fours, right? Five fifteen. Wow. Okay. And and not just that. The next year, he hit three seventy. With a 582 on base percentage, and in 2004, 362 with a 609 on base percentage. Well, he was getting uh, intentionally walked all the time. I know. Like, God, you know. I wish he would not have done that because with him, I, and I, again, I, I, I read Game of Shadows and everything. Like everything in question with him, like really surrounded that one year. Yeah. After you know the allegation was that he was very jealous of the attention of the home run chase and it was kind of a look what i can do type of a thing but i don't think he ever hit more than 40 what 48 home runs outside of that one year where he hit 73. yeah but he hit 40 plus a lot and even before that he got to 40 plus i think four or five times he he was it's too bad because he he could easily had that that not surround i mean he'd, he'd be probably considered the greatest hitter of all time just hitter what whatever that we're, we're going on a tangent good for Aaron judge good for baseball I don't like the Yankees but I love that this is happening I really hope he gets to 62 um, and and just let it be let the others sit there where they are and let's also celebrate this if he passes Maris as another benchmark home run season that you can just make a case for this is the real best home run season we've ever seen and the others are there too they just come with the cloud 869-1240 is the number to call when we come back. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. How about those 3-0 Hawks? Here we go. We'll talk to him next. Getting all the inside information on the Kansas Jayhawks. Let's go now to the voice of KU, Brian Haney. And welcome in, and we welcome in our buddy Brian Haney, voice of the Kansas Jayhawks. And when it comes to football, Brian, there hadn't been a better time to be the voice of the Jayhawks since you've been the voice of the Jayhawks. How does this feel? Yeah, it's a completely different energy. It's been incredible, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Completely different feel, different energy. I mean, to be real with you, my first couple of years, there were games like going down to Baylor, for example, where you knew we were going to be blown out. And I would huddle up my guys at halftime, my guys being our broadcast team, down 42 to nothing, and say, okay, we have to make this 
entertaining and engaging and like good radio, even though it's not going to be a good game. Because my, my broadcast mentor, Tom Hedrick, always said, the game can be bad, but you can't be. And so there were certain weeks where, like that, that story from Waco, where we were there at halftime, like, all right, Josh, it was Josh Klingler, the, the KU parent section in section 234, we got 50 red, red and blue jerseys over there in the parent section. You go interview somebody from there. David, tell me about the freshmen that are up and coming on this team. We'll talk about them in the third quarter. And we were having to, to kind of map out you know, how to make it fun radio because, you know, the product on the field was, was still struggling. And that was when they were in the midst of scholarship purgatory and, and couldn't get the numbers balanced. And there was a lot going on. And so, you know, there were certainly reasons why it took as long as it took to get Kansas back to being competitive every week. But I give you that perspective to say that, you know, you're right in the, in the seven years that I've been back now as voice of the Jayhawks, we've never had excitement like this. And, just knowing heading into any given week that you could have a, a win to call and, and be in a fourth quarter where there's compelling action with the game on the line, it's a pretty foreign feeling to what we've been used to the last decade. But certainly the history of Kansas football is there. You just have to go back a ways. And uh, we're excited that there's you know definitely some similar vibes to what Mangino was building in 2003 in his second season. And my broadcast partner, David Lawrence, keeps comparing it to 07-08 because Jalen Daniels is so comparable to Todd Reesing. And that's not to say that Kansas is going to rip off, you know, 12 wins this season and, and, and win a BCS bowl game or a New Year's Day bowl game, as it may be. It, it is to say that, you know, that they could really do something special with a once-in-a-decade type quarterback if he stays healthy and keeps ascending. And so that's where David's comparison comes from. But, yes, to answer your original question, Jacob, as you can tell, it's been a night and day different feeling getting to call these games. And, I mean, again, just to be real with you, we've been scoring eight touchdowns a week. Last week it was, I think, seven TDs and two field goals or six TDs and two field goals, whatever it was. I mean, we, we had, you know, stretches of three or four weeks without eight total touchdowns in those early years. And so it's definitely been an absolute blast. And uh, while – 53 points per game may not be sustainable once we get into the back half of our schedule. With this creative play calling from Andy Kotelnicki and, and this special quarterback and the talented pieces around him, I, I do think you know that they're going to have fireworks throughout the season. I do think they're going to be competitive in every game, and that certainly makes for really compelling broadcasts here on KFH where we're not having to decide at halftime what the second half stories are going to be to keep you tuned in. The action speaks for itself. Brian, I've been really looking forward to, to talking to you since Saturday and, and just getting your take on the game against Houston. And, and you mentioned Jalen Daniels and, and what he's been able to do. He's a, a special quarterback and, you know, he's one piece of the, the overall program. But just what he's doing through the air on the ground, you know, he's getting some early Heisman looks, which is something that I I can't believe that we were talking about. Not to to knock him at all, but just that's not something in in a sentence we would usually talk about with somebody from Kansas being in the, the early Heisman conversation. What's it been like for you to to be at these games, to call the action, how explosive, dynamic, uh, and, and that kind of player that he is? What the, what what has that been like for you, and what are you seeing from him? Well, Tommy, it's, it's as exciting as Reasing without the all Big 12 caliber, greatest, you know, top five receivers of all time at Kansas caliber pass catchers. Reasing made it so exciting because 
You know, he was a little guy back there bouncing off Ndamukong Sue, being twirled around and chucking it 60 yards downfield. And Kerry Meyer and Desmond Briscoe, who shattered every record you could break as, as a receiver at Kansas, uh, you know, they were the ones hauling in the passes. Derek Fine, who went on to play for the Buffalo Bills, you know, he was a great pass catcher. This team is doing it differently, and Jalen Daniels does it differently than Todd did, but it's, it's on that excitement level, quite frankly. And, and the, the difference is, uh, while he's got a cannon of an arm and, and could chuck it 60 downfield, he clearly doesn't have, you know, the, the receiving options that Reising had. I mean, Briscoe went on to play with the Bucks. Kerry Meyer was in the NFL as well, um, Atlanta Falcons. So he's got tight ends and running backs and, and a couple of capable receivers. Don't get me wrong, just not the prolific ones that Reising had. And so what Andy Kotelnicki has done is he's devised an offense that has a lot of QB options. It has, as we talked about last week, you know, multiple sets of multiple backs in the backfield where you really don't know where the ball's going to go. Sometimes three backs in a triangle around Jalen. But what makes Jalen special is, and this is not, you know, my amateur eyes seeing this and saying this, this comes straight from the coaches. Jalen Daniels has the vision of, you know, a prolific collegiate running back with the arm of a, of a top end collegiate quarterback. And so when they get him to the edge and he's deciding, do I pitch or keep? Do I call my own number or do I get rid of it? He's got excellent, excellent vision that, that guys just don't typically have where he, he can see it two cuts away and he can find that seam to slip through and, and he's off to the races from there. And so, you know, we watched him kind of have that breakout performance in Morgantown in which he had 85 rushing yards and, and we thought, okay, well, maybe this could be a real thing with him as a, a dual threat guy on a regular basis with 10 plus carries a game. Then he comes back the next week, 12 carries, 123 yards, two touchdowns and the touchdowns. One in particular, you know, he had to get low and, and kind of dart and, and duck his way around a guy and then explode from there. You know, he's not as fast as Jason Bean, but his vision is truly elite. And, and so while Jason might sprint to the edge as fast as any KU quarterback I've ever seen, Jalen can still get there fast, but he can make him miss, and he can go to the right spot and put the ball in the right spot from there. And so um, it, it looks different than what Todd did, but it's every bit as exciting because it's honestly every bit as explosive. Like you really could score on any given play, and we saw that last week you know, in route to his 122 yards. There was 137-yard run, and it's just, it's just a, a really exciting brand because he's got a unique skill set. So that's why it's so much fun to watch. But uh, that's not to sleep on the downfield passing element. It's just not something that they've uncorked a lot of just yet, other than the Tory Lachlan 60-yarder we had last week. But uh, it's in there, believe me. He's got as strong as arm as uh, just about any quarterback I've covered since I've been back in my seven years. But right now, it's, it's vision and the burst as a rushing quarterback. And that'll be what teams start to try to take away. And when they do and he's forced to have to throw downfield more, you know, what will that look like? But uh, you'll remember him two years ago, guys, when he was this wiry, you know, 17-year-old starting quarterback in Waco. He still had a cannon of an arm in that first Big 12 start at Baylor, uh, but everything was overthrown by like five or ten yards. He's gotten so much more accurate. He throws on the run, doesn't have to be balanced, throws across his body. It, it's not his overall number one strength, but it's in there. So, so let's see if, if that starts to manifest more as the season unfolds as well. Let's switch gears here just a little bit and talk about the other side of the ball. Brian Haney, voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, joining us. Is it sustainable 
to continue to win games. 500 yards allowed to West Virginia, 446 yards allowed to Houston. It's been bend, don't break to some degree. Is that sustainable as they get ready after this week to head into Big 12? Well, head back into Big 12 play, I suppose. It is if your goal is six wins in a bowl game, because uh, you can do that three more times. Sure. Uh, if your goal is beyond that, which this team's is, then no. You've you got to be better. You've got to start better. You can't spot the opposition two touchdowns out the gate like we saw these last two weeks, and you've got to clamp down more, force more early punts, all of that. Um, so it's yes and no with this group. But I thought they did get a lot better last week in coming up with Big plays, takeaways, whether it was the Kenny Logan interception, Jeremy Robinson had a, a sack, force fumble, fumble recovery all on one play. Uh, Caleb Sampson was big. We, we saw several Jayhawks come up with key stops that got the defense off the field and in a couple of cases got the offense back on the field in opponent territory. You'll recall in Morgantown, we didn't get a stop until the third quarter, unless you count them running out of time at the end of the first half. Um, this time, when you spotted them 14 points, stops came earlier, including the Kenny Logan INT, which gave KU the ball, you know, inside the red zone. And so, to me, that, that's great progress right there. And while the yardage totals still need to come down a bit, uh, we're, we're seeing a defense that, that was able to make adjustments and get better quicker and, and turn things around faster within that game. And honestly, I'm excited about our defense because we're seeing the type of rotational depth that we haven't had, which part of that is the scholarship purgatory that we talked about, you know, that, that stemmed from the Charlie Weiss era. And, and then, you know, it's just taken a while to, to get the numbers up. But then you also have the, the influence of the transfer portal where as they got their numbers more and more caught up, they were catching them up with 21 and 22-year-olds. And so the rotational uh, usage of the defensive linemen is as good as we've seen since the Orange Bowl era keeping legs fresh, having a multitude of guys that can come in and be disrupted. Same with the linebackers, same with the secondary. I mean, there were some really great defensive uh, series out there where Kenny Logan wasn't even on the field on Saturday, and he's supposedly the face of your defense. And so uh, that, to me, shows that we've come a long ways in bolstering the talent around what used to be two or three, you know, prominent pieces, and everybody else was just kind of filling a gap. Now you've got a lot more to work with, and so it'll get better. Uh, it'll also get tougher, Jacob. So to answer your question, yes, it's got to get better. I do think it will get better. But we're also uh, in the second half of the season going to go up against some pretty prolific offensive attacks that are going to put a lot more strain on that. And so the hope is that, you know, the strides we saw made in week three continue to climb and, and you're more uh, ready and capable to take on some of those challenges in the season's second half. So, Brian, as I'm watching this game on Saturday, the, the Jayhawks fell down 14-0 after the first seven minutes or so. But after that time, defensively, they only gave up 16 points and didn't give up a, a single point for the rest of the half. And as I'm watching this game, th there was a, a drive that happened after KU fell down 14 nothing, where I thought that was kind of the turning point of the game. It was a sustained drive where Jalen Daniels, Andy Kotelnicki, they were able to put together a drive where they were converting on third downs. That's been something that Kansas has been really good at through the first three games in the season, converting on third downs. They were able to do that, push the ball down the field, and give the defense an opportunity to rest a little bit, to make some adjustments. And I think that was really key for them. 
I, I know in years past we've seen, you know, this, you know, we've seen a Kansas program that has a lot of three and outs. They're not able to get their defense arrested. Um, how important is that for this program moving forward, especially into big 12 play? We know that we know that the offense can have the big play Tory Lachlan had a 60 yard touchdown reception. But how important is it to have these kind of long sustained drives to give the defense a break? Yeah, it's huge, and your point's a great one about third downs. I mean, through two weeks, we were number one in the country at 74%, and last week really wasn't that much of a step back. They were 7 out of 12, 58%, and what I loved was one of the early third downs they didn't convert was on a slant to Lawrence Arnold. They hit him in the hands, and he just dropped it. This is when there was rain coming down, and he just didn't make the play, and later in the game, in a similar spot, an even tighter window to throw into. Jalen went right back to him in a similar juncture, needing the same yardage. And this time he makes a really tough catch in traffic, hangs on, moves the chains. Here we go. And so that to me was really impressive. And, and yes, you know, they, they've scored drives on drives that, that have been more, you know, four, five, six minute variety. And I love that because you talk about resting the defense, which is great, but it also keeps the opponent offenses off the field it, it shortens the game a bit and yet if you're scoring on more drives than not you're still going to be north of 40 as they've been every single week um, but you're, you're shortening the number of opponent possessions as well by not having nearly as many you know three and out or you know 90 second or less type possessions so that's been a, a great great factor real quickly to go back to the defense I, I referenced you know it's going to get tougher personnel wise I do want to say though that you know, they took Nathaniel Dell the the all American Athletic Conference receiver and pretty much shut him down last week, a week after Bryce Ford Wheaton had gotten huge numbers against the Kansas secondary. So they have faced, you know, some, some very capable offensive weapons already. I'm just saying some of these overall team challenges are going to get tougher in the season second half when you go to Oklahoma and to Baylor and that kind of thing. But uh, what they've beaten to this point is not to be undersold or, or undervalued uh, because, hey, this is a Houston team that was picked to win 10 games that was you know, 12 and two a year ago in the top 25 the week before we played them and a West Virginia road win that, you know, they're, they're still, you know, even though they, they struggled out the gate, they darn near beat Pitt in week one. And, and uh, many have them as a six win team this year too. So uh, we've, we've accomplished impressive things versus very capable teams. I'm just saying that the defensive improvement back to Jacob's question will have to continue to climb because you've got some real doozies of, of second half of the season challenges still in front of you. I've got one more question for you, and this is a scenario I want to lay out because I've wondered this, and it kind of started rolling around in my head after the West Virginia win. I think that there is a reasonable chance that Kansas starts this season 5-1 and one or 6-0. and oh. I think there is also a reasonable chance that they lose five or six of the next games. I don't, I'm not saying I want that to happen, or it could, but it could because their back half of their Big 12 schedule is loaded. If a scenario like that plays out where they win a ton of games early and lose a ton of games late, what, what will that feel like? Because if we would have said that before the season started, of course, everyone would have said five, six wins. Hell yeah, sign me up for that. But now that it's happening, it, it, the buzz is so high what will that feel like if a scenario like that plays out? Well, let's do the math on your little scenario there, Jacob, because it's it's actually pretty 
I don't want to say likely, but it's it's very plausible. How about that? Uh, yeah. let's, let's do the math on that scenario. You said they could win five of their first six, or it would be five and one, or, or six and zero, oh, right? Let's let's say it's five Correct. and one, but then they lose five of their next six, meaning they won one of those six. Five plus one equals six equals postseason equals first bowl game in 14 years. And so if that's the case, it's kind of like 2008 where they started fast but finished with a win over Mizzou after, you know, some doldrums there late in the season, did enough to get to the bowl season and, uh, you know, wound up winning their bowl game. You know, I think they were a seven-win team entering the bowl game, won the bowl game for an eight-win season, and it felt completely different uh, even though there, there were some, you know, twists and turns in there. Similar uh, deal here. I mean, if, if we open five and one, however those, those next two wins come in this three-game homestand, but then, you know, go through the meat grinder of that schedule that you alluded to, but find a way to win in Lubbock or find a way to knock off another team somewhere along the way, so long as they got the six, even if there was a stretch of a four-game losing skid, so long as you were competitive in there, the headline is, Kansas is in the bowl season for the first time in a decade and a half, and it doesn't matter that, that uh, you know things took a downturn in the second half of the year. Then you get that whole extra month of practices. You you get that good feeling of of you know we finally got this monkey off our back. I mean, there's there's kids that that uh, should be in school right now. It's nine forty four, but kids that listened to your show earlier on the drive to school that haven't been alive since the last time we were in a bowl game, and that all that would be taken care of uh, if if you found a way to six even if there was a three- or a four-game losing skid in the midst of that. So I think your scenario is both plausible and something that most Jayhawk fans would sign up for right now. The team wouldn't because they genuinely believe they, they can go out there each week and, and, and beat their opponent and, and finish much, much higher than 6-6. Six and six. But uh, if they take care of their business these next three weeks, and by that I mean hold serve more times than not, win two out of three if possible, well, then you're sitting there at five and one, and and bowl eligibility, even as tough as that back half looks, uh, seems very much within reach. And I like that scenario for Kansas, and uh, I know Lance Leipold's guys would too. So let's hope that's a very real hypothetical uh, that, that becomes real. I should say, uh, real hypothetical would be a, a, a oxymoron, I guess. But I, I hope your scenario does indeed come true because we'd be busy in December and that'd be the best thing for this program. And just imagine the expectations for 2023 if they got to the bowl season a year ahead of schedule and you had Jalen and all these running backs and, and so much talent coming back next year. Just think what folks would be saying about Kansas as a you know potential you know, next step forward, eight and four type team in 2023, if they've made the leap all the way to six wins this year. Well, Brian, it starts on Saturday, the the first of three home games going on at uh, Daniel or at uh, David Booth Memorial Stadium. And of course, last year, Kansas played Duke on the road, lost 52 to 33. And uh, you, know, you have to imagine, and I know a lot of people have been talking about it, such a big uh, crowd expected on Saturday uh, in Lawrence. And uh, what should folks be expecting for this game against Duke? I mean, I, we know what the spread is right now. The Jayhawks opened as eight and a half point favorites. But uh, this this scenario that Jacob and you just talked about, it continues on with the final non-conference game of the year for the Jayhawks. So what are some things for fans to be keeping an eye on? Well, this is uh, a Duke team that, like North Carolina and Kentucky and Kansas and Syracuse and Indiana, I believe, I think Indiana's the other one, all these college basketball blue bloods, they're all 3-0 and right now. So that's, that's kind of fun, right? 
Um, but yeah, they've uh, they've undergone in their last 12 months what we went through a year earlier, and that is the uh, departure of the previous head coach and uh, going through new culture being established, new coach coming in with new messaging and all that. And uh, so they're a year behind, you know, where Lance Leipold is at, but they really like their guy. And, and they're off to a great start at 3-0, and as I referenced. And, you know, they didn't necessarily expect to be 3-0. and They sure didn't expect to be 10-point underdogs, though, to Kansas coming to Lawrence. But I think both these teams have, have maybe uh, accomplished more in these first three weeks than, than most would have given them credit for. But uh, when we saw them last year and Kansas lost that game um, in, in Durham, that was the last win of the previous coach's tenure. And so Coach Elko hired in the offseason, done a great job with the transfer portal, similar to Lance Leipold, done a great job of, of really getting the, the guys he inherited to buy into what he's selling. And so uh, they'll look a little bit different. Quarterback's going to be different. they got a good run game, really defensively sound defense. Um, this one, this group, athletically, I don't know if they're as fast as some of the Houston talent we saw, but but they might be coached well enough that they're, they'll be the toughest team yet for us to execute our run offense against. And so I'll be really interested to see, um, you know, how that chess match goes. But the, the guy you got to look for in engineering their offense is Riley Leonard. He's he's the quarterback now, and, and he's a guy that, uh, you know, has shown akin to Jalen Daniels. He can beat you with his arm or his feet last week, um, or actually just uh, – just this past week, yeah, 66 rushing yards, two touchdowns, can also air it out against you. They've got a, a great veteran receiver that gave us fits a year ago in Calhoun that just went over 100 yards in the Northwestern game. They, they've got some very talented pieces. And so this is a club that I think Kansas should be confident against, but they, they can't take anything for granted. And they just have to look back to last year when we, you know, flashed some, some potential early, but, but Duke wound up winning it going away. And so I think this would be another great back-and-forth football game. But one where, after Kansas kind of won convincingly at Houston and you heard the Rock Chalk chant echoing throughout TDECU Stadium with about five minutes to go in regulation, if, if the Jayhawks play their game and, and can be up a uh, score too late in front of 48,000 at David Booth Kansas Memorial Stadium, that could be a pretty raucous atmosphere uh, throughout, but, but a pretty big celebration in the game's waning moments. Because just imagine – if they did win in, in front of a packed booth, uh, considering all that this program has been through the last decade and a half, and you, and you closed out that first month, well, almost closed out the month, at 4-0, uh, you know, what that would feel like. And then think about all the buzz for homecoming the following week. We've got a big, uh, for Wichita fans, thinking about making a full weekend out of it for the Iowa State game, big homecoming rock chalk block party the Friday night before the Iowa State game. There's a country music artist, Chris Lane, that's going to be performing. And we'll have a bunch of Jayhawks, including Todd Reising and Daryl Stuckey up on stage down on Mass Street. Imagine if we're 4-0 at that point. Uh, imagine if, if College Game Day is still considering coming at, at, at that point. Who knows? But, but that's what's at stake here, if they can close out non-con on an upswing and set the stage for a really special homecoming weekend the following weekend. And by the way, that same weekend, I get to come down and see you guys in Wichita for the Kansas Sports Hall of Fame inductions with Roy Williams going in the hall. So can't wait to be there and be a part of that. Not this weekend, but next. All right, Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Early kick, 11 o'clock. Wake up even earlier, bright and early. Get your pregame covered right here on KFH. 
Uh, we're right up against it, Brian. Thanks for being with us as always, and thanks to the people that help make these weekly visits possible. Yeah, big thanks to the Mattress Hub. They've been sponsoring these reports for years. You can find them at mattresshub.com. And they uh, they got me all hooked up with my latest mattress over the summertime. I initially tried a Tempur-Pedic, decided the purple mattress was the one for me. Don't tell Wyatt Thompson I said that. But if the technology gives you the coolest night's sleep, it's the best back support for me. Point is, their customer service and their chance to try these things out for 100 days is what helped me land on the best fit for my life. So check them out today. Best selection, best customer service you'll find. The Mattress Hub, Wichita owned and operated right there in Wichita. Guys, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next week. There goes Brian Haney, 11 o'clock kick, pregame before that. Check it all out on KFH as the Jayhawks try to move to 4-0. and We'll come back, wrap up hour number one on Sports Daily. Bob and Tom Mornings, this is... Welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily, KFH, Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster. Tommy, just a couple of minutes here to wrap up hour number one. want to remind folks that we have an opportunity to hang out with you during the Chiefs game this weekend against the Colts. That noon kickoff will be back this weekend on that BetQL app. So we did this last week, uh, and it was a lot of fun, quite frankly, just to chat it up with people. Uh, everybody can kind of talk about what they're betting during the game. Uh, BetQL is it's an app with information that Odyssey owns, but we'll be back there. So if you don't have that app downloaded, if you do have it, join us in that chat room. It'll be real easy to find. Looking forward to that on Sunday. Yeah, all you have to do is click the uh, chat feature down there on the bottom right corner. Join us in that room, and we'll be talking about the game. We'll be talking about player props and team props and updated lines and, and all of that uh, for the game on Sunday. Chiefs and Colts, it'll be a lot of fun. And we can all celebrate or suffer together. It is cool. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, get on there. Just just take a glance at it if you haven't seen it before. There is a ton of betting information on there, too, if you are uh, somebody that's partaking in sports wagering or if you just want to hang with us. Get in there. Check it out. It'll be fun. We'll do that. All right, hour number two coming up. want to talk about Amazon's potential role in college football. What does that mean for the Big 12 and the rest of the country, quite frankly? Uh, we'll get uh, with Brian Hargrove on the big hockey game this weekend. We've got a giveaway Coming up as well in hour number two, jam-packed edition of Sports Daily today, and we'll continue after this.